We are looking forward to our service tonight at 6. Brother Jason Holliday will be with us. He always loves to come, and we love to have him come and continue the wonderful variety of individuals who address us with the Word of God and offer insights and thoughts along the way that uh, need to be impressed upon our mind in a little different manner. Every speaker and teacher does that that we have here, and we look forward to his being with us at uh, our service tonight. This is the final lesson in this series that we have been engaged in, interrupted by the other series, but we have done a number of lessons on the subject purposes of preaching, and we will conclude with the final four points in our study this morning. One of the purposes of preaching is to lead men into the Lord's church. Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Matthew 16, 13 to 19. Four great statements, among others, about the church. I will build my church. And he also described it as the kingdom. Thus the kingdom of Christ and the church of Christ constitute the same institution. Sometime later, Jesus said, There be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power, Mark 9, 1. So Jesus said, I will build my church. He described it as the kingdom. And he said that kingdom or that church is going to be established in the lifetime of some of you present on this occasion. And that was two millenniums ago. Prior to being removed from earth and going back to heaven, Jesus said, then he said unto these 12 men, he opened their hearts that they might understand these truths concerning his death, burial, and resurrection. And he told them to remain in Jerusalem, and they would receive power from on high in order to preach these marvelous truths. And that is the truths that are set forth in Luke 24, 45 to 49. In uh, Acts 1 in verse 8, the Bible informs us that they would receive that power to thus preach, commencing in the city of Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit came upon them. 
Therefore, Jesus said, I will build my church. He described it as the kingdom. He said that kingdom is going to come with power and it's going to come in the lifetime of some of you living. He told those 12 apostles to stay there in Jerusalem. They would receive this power from on high. And when they received it, they were to preach repentance and remission of sins for the first time in the name of this resurrected Christ. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when they heard this, they were marveled. They were amazed, saying, Are not all these which speak Galileans? How we hear every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born. And he enumerates all those languages from which they had come. And then somebody said, These men are just full of new wine. Peter stood up and said, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken. As ye suppose, seeing as but the third hour of the day, or nine o'clock in the morning. And then he quotes from Joel 2, 28 to 32, in which Joel had foretold what was taking place on that occasion. So Jesus said, I will build my church. He described it as the kingdom. He said that kingdom was going to come in the lifetime of some of those people living 2,000 years ago with great power. He told those apostles to remain in Jerusalem. They would receive this power. When they received it, they were to commence to preach for the first time in the city of Jerusalem in the name of the resurrected Christ, repentance and remission of sins. Well, all that comes together there in Acts 2. They were gathered together just as Jesus commanded them. They received the power of the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit Himself, but the power the Holy Spirit gave to preach repentance and remission of sins in the name of the resurrected Christ. And so they commenced to preach in the name of Christ to all of these people, all of these Jews gathered from all over the world. Well, naturally, they were astounded. Here were 12 men who had not gone to the universities of the day, who had not studied all of these languages, just simple men. How hear we, every man in our own language, seeing that all of these are Galileans? No wonder they were amazed. Well, some just foolishly said they're under the influence of wine. Why, man cannot even speak fluently or properly in his own native language when he's under the influence of wine. And yet these 12 men are speaking fluently and perfectly in languages they had never studied so that everyone in the audience could understand. And Peter stood up and said, these men are not under the influence of wine. It's just 9 o'clock in the morning. Just a common sense argument, not the time when people engage in drinking. They wait to the close of the work day or the close of the work week. And so just a common sense argument or statement. But then he got down to the heart of the matter. Let me tell you, tell you what's really taking place, he said. And then he quoted from Joel, where Joel foretold exactly what you read in Acts chapter 2. And then they commenced to preach, just as Jesus told them to, repentance and remission of sins in the name of the resurrected Christ. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, which 
God did by him in the midst of you all these miracles, wonders, and signs, which ye yourselves also know. He was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And uh, he was killed by some of those present on that occasion. They clamored for his blood. When he mentioned the resurrection of Christ, and he quoted from David in order to prove that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. And after all of that, then they asked, what shall we do? And at least 3,000 obeyed the gospel after being told you need to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And verse 47 says they were added to the church. It would be difficult to preach a sermon more plain than Peter preached on Pentecost of Acts 2. And it was the one gospel of Christ that produced the one church that Jesus said, I will build. There is but one gospel. Galatians 1.8, Paul said, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul is pressing the fact there is one gospel. If we preach any other gospel than the one gospel, we are under the curse of God. And it was the one gospel that produced the one church. In Ephesians 4.4, 4, Paul said there is one body. In Ephesians 1.22 and 23, he described the body as the church. So the church of Christ and the body of Christ are one and the same. And it's significant that the same act that allows one to be in Christ also allows one to be in the body of Christ, which is the church of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Galatians 3, 26 and 27, and Romans 6, 3 and 4 say we're baptized into the death of Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says we're baptized into the body of Christ. When those people obeyed the gospel on Pentecost of Acts 2, they were added to the church, which is what? The one body of Christ that Jesus said, I will build. Jesus said, I will build my church and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. The church of Christ and the kingdom of Christ are one and the same. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says that those people in Colossae were obedient to the gospel of Christ. And verse 13 says they were translated into the kingdom. On the day of Pentecost of Acts 2, they heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, they obeyed the gospel. And they were added to the church that Jesus said, I will build. Sometime later in the city of Colossae, they heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, they obeyed the gospel, and they were added to or translated into the kingdom of Christ. Therefore, the church of Christ and the kingdom of Christ are one and the same. They're the same institutions. And when one obeys the gospel, the Holy Spirit who preached that sermon through Peter on Pentecost of Acts 2 led them right into the church that Jesus said, I will build. Can you think of anything more foolish than one obeying the gospel of Christ that was preached on Pentecost of Acts chapter 2 and then being added to an institution you cannot even read about in the Bible? Some humanly devised church, humanly devised institution that you cannot even read about in the Bible. You read about the church or the body of Christ that belongs to Christ, the Son of God. It's His. He paid the price for it, the ultimate price for it. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. 
Jesus died to purchase the church. He purchased it with his own blood, Acts 20, verse 28. And to think that when the gospel is preached, that the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, adds one to some church or some institution that man established that does not carry the name of Christ, that does not preach the gospel that one must obey to become a member of the church that Jesus said, I will build. One of the purposes of preaching is to lead men into the church that Jesus said, I will build. The preaching that is done today in most pulpits all over the earth do everything but that. Even if they say anything about the church that Jesus said, I will build, they minimize it. Do you have to be a member of the church? They say, no, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all that one needs to do to become a Christian, a saved person. Is the church important? Not really important. Just join the church of your choice. Look out here in the world. Pick out the one that suits you best. Whatever fits best with the way you think, what you like, what you want, what pleases you, what makes you feel good. You just pick out one and join that. That kind of foolishness, that kind of speech, that kind of language, that kind of terminology you will never read in the Bible. You will hear it from many pulpits. You will hear it from the speech of many different individuals as you speak with them about spiritual things. But you'll never read it in the Bible. One of the purposes of preaching is to make plain what the Bible says about the church that Jesus said, I will build. So that when people leave and Audience like this, an assembly like this, they have as good an understanding as they can have in one sermon about the church that Jesus said, I will build and did build. It's the product of the one gospel. There are as many churches as there are gospels because the gospel produces the church. That's what occurred on Pentecost of Acts 2. They heard the gospel. They obeyed the gospel. They were added to the church. What can be simpler than that? But it's the thinking and the human devisings of men that have complicated all of this, muddied the spiritual water, and making it impossible for people to see God's view and the Bible's view of the church that Jesus said, I will build. We need to so preach that when people leave our assemblies, they will have a good understanding of the church that Jesus said, I will build, the product of the gospel preached, the gospel obeyed. And then another purpose of preaching is to produce unity. Unity is a marvelous thing. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133 and verse 1. In the comments that Jim made at the Lord's table this morning, he read among other text from John 17. And he read those two great verses in 20 and 21. Neither pray I for these alone. This is the prayer of Christ at the close of that five chapter unit that was the last thing Jesus did in preparation for being arrested, tried, and crucified. And so he closes this five chapter unit, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 with this beautiful prayer that he prayed, the entirety of which he personally prayed in the presence of those apostles at the close of this five chapter unit 
And just a short while later, he would be arrested, tried, and crucified. Neither pray I for these alone, these twelve apostles, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, through the word they would preach, through the Bible, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me. Use the greatest example of unity. There is the unity that God and Christ have, that they may be one as we are one. For what purpose? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. One of the sad realities about all of the religious division in the world is because of all of the division that exists in religious institutions, all claiming to believe and follow the same God and the same Bible. Something is drastically wrong. You've got one God, one Christ, one Holy Spirit, one divine revelation set forth in the Bible, one gospel, and yet thousands of different religious institutions all claiming in their division to be following the one God, the one Christ, the one gospel, the one Bible. Common sense tells a rational person something is not wrong about this portrait. And no wonder Jesus said, unity, belief in me and unity among all those that follow what I have taught will be a powerful tool in convincing the world of the truth. But people often use to justify division and their own disobedience and refusal to accept the gospel, the fact that look at all of this division in the world. And surely someone claiming to be the only one right cannot be the only one right. Well, it's not a matter of the one who claims to be right. It's a matter of the Bible is right. And if we're right, it's because we're with the Bible. If we are not right, it's because we are not with the Bible. There's nothing difficult about this principle. All of this division in the religious world has created disbelief instead of belief. But in this sermon preached on Pentecost, Acts 2 and verse 44, the Bible says they were all together. They were one. In Acts 2 verse 44, another purpose of preaching is to promote spiritual growth. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 3, Paul said, And I, brethren, could not write unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For where is theirs among you envies and strifes and divisions? Are ye not carnal and walk as men? Paul desired to address them as mature people in Christ. But he said, You're nothing but a bunch of spiritual babies. I cannot address you as mature men and women in Christ. You still are in the babyhood state of Christianity. He wanted to address them on a mature level, but could not because somewhere along the line they had quit studying their Bibles. They had quit thinking right about God because they were allowing God through His Word to address their thinking and enable them to think right. And consequently, he was not able to address them on the basis of mature people in Christ. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again. 
which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and have become such as a need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. But strong meat belongeth to those who are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses, their minds exercised to discern both good and evil. Hebrews 5, verses 12 to 14. There's another instance of people who should have been mature adults in Christ and should have been able to teach other people, but they still needed teaching themselves. Not about the deep things of the Word, but just the simple things of the Word. The fundamentals of the faith of which man must have knowledge in order to be able to aid others in their investigation and coming to the knowledge of the truth. You still need to be taught the milk of the Word. In 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 4 and verse 15, Paul said, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is Christ. We need to grow up. There are a lot of spiritual babies in the church today. And it's because that sometime along the way in their spiritual journey, they just stopped being students of the Bible. They stopped studying the Bible and reading the Bible and reflecting upon the Bible in a daily way. And consequently, they stopped growing. And they remain far from mature in Christ, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things. We need to grow up in Christ. We need to do the kind of preaching that will pe bring people back on Sunday night and Wednesday night. Do you not want to hear preaching from this pulpit that will encourage you to be faithful to the services of the church? We need to have preaching that will encourage every member to come back on Sunday night and Wednesday night unless their health prevents them from doing so. Something of which we understand and God Himself understands. But when we're able to do so, we need to hear preaching from the pulpit that will challenge us and encourage us to come back Sunday night and Wednesday night every night of a gospel meeting, will encourage us to pray faithfully. Do you not want to hear preaching that will encourage you to open the day with prayer, close the day with prayer, and fill the day with prayer? Do you not want to hear preaching that will encourage you to study your Bible every day? Do you do that? Why do you not do that? Do you not want to hear preaching and teaching that will encourage you to do that? The Bible is the basis of our faith. Do you not want to grow in faith? You cannot grow up in Christ when you separate your mind from daily Bible reading and study. Do you not want to hear preaching that will encourage you to be a liberal giver? You don't own anything. Everything you have is on loan from God. This is not my body. I can only use my body in an accommodative sense. This is my body in the sense that God has loaned it to me for a short while here on earth. And I'm a long way toward the end of the use of it.
And if the world stands, it won't be long before this body on loan from God is going to be lying in the cold bosom of the earth. My spirit does not belong to me. Your body and your spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20 says, belongs to God. My spirit is on loan from God. Now, if that's not the case, can it be difficult to understand why the house in which I live belongs to God, the two cars that we have belong to God, all the food in our pantry belongs to God, this suit's on loan from God, our house is on loan from God, what little talent I may have to preach or teach the gospel is on loan from God. These books that I have written are our books. That is, it's me and the Lord's and primarily the Lord's because all of it is based on His truth, not mine. And what talent I have is on loan from God. So I always address these books that I've written as our books, me and the Lord's and primarily the Lord's. Everything is on loan from God. And consequently, we need to have preaching that encourages us to realize that. That'll help us be liberal givers because we're just giving out of what already belongs to God. A proportion. Not a portion, but a proportion. If you're making $100,000 a year, $1 a week is a portion that you put in the collection plate. It's a long way from a proportion. And so we need to give proportionately. It all belongs to God anyway. David said, when he looked on all those things he had set aside to build the temple, he said, Lord, we've just taken out of what already belongs to you and given to you. He understood the Bible principle of stewardship. We need Bible preaching that promotes spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. And then finally, we need Bible preaching that produces unconditional surrender to the Lord. That's the kind of preaching that Peter did on Pentecost. They wholly gave themselves unto the Lord. Acts 2 and verse 45 says, they even sold their goods because there were some that needed, had need of them. That's how committed they were to the Lord. Willing, because someone needed it more than they did, to sell some of their own goods to supply the needs of those who were, there, who were in greater need than they were themselves. Do you not want to hear preaching that will encourage you to commit yourself wholly to the Lord? That will keep you from being a lukewarm person like those people in the church at Laodicea? That will keep you a million miles away from thinking that Christianity is just a plaything, that Christianity is not just a Sunday stroll with Jesus, that it's not just a Sunday-only affair, that Christianity involves seven days of every week, 24 hours of every day, for as long as we live, and that every conscious and wake-filled moment we ought to fill it with as much good as we can. Even when we are engaged in secular work that is not necessarily spiritual work in a specific sense, but yet is, because all that we do is to be done with full faith in God, dependence upon God, recognizing we're using talents on loan from God, 
making sufficient monies that we can be liberal givers and help others less fortunate than ourselves. In that sense, every work is a spiritual work. It's a work devoted to glorifying and honoring God in all that we do, to being a good example in the workplace and wherever else we may find ourselves. This is the kind of preaching that Peter did on Pentecost of Acts 2. It brought about a state of oneness with those people, faithfulness. They continued steadfastly, Acts 2, verse 42. They were totally committed to God. All the truths that come out of this great sermon upon which we have based these lessons, the purposes of preaching. Many of our own brethren need to get back and study anew Acts chapter 2. And the whole denominational world needs to study and preach Acts chapter 2. Just think if next Sunday every preacher in every religious pulpit all over the world would have studied Acts chapter 2 during the course of the week and he gets up on the following Sunday and he just preaches what Peter preached on Pentecost of Acts chapter 2. Why it would be like an earthquake in the assemblies of all of these denominational groups who have never heard the first gospel consummated sermon in the name of the resurrected Christ under the Great Commission as an accomplished fact that sets forth the exclusiveness of New Testament Christianity, the exclusiveness of the church that Jesus said, I will build, the exclusive gospel that produces the exclusive church. Why, the next week, every conversation in every workplace would be filled with discussions and arguments over the sermon they heard that previous Sunday. Acts chapter 2 is a chapter that needs to be studied so that we might, if we don't know how, learn the purposes, the divine purposes in preaching that, ba that is based only on the truth. You're here never obeyed that one gospel that was preached on Pentecost of Acts 2. And you need by your faith, like some 3,000 did on that occasion, to express your faith in repentance, confession of Christ, be baptized into Christ. Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Christ for the remission of sin. You can't go wrong by doing right. Obeying the gospel that was preached on Pentecost of Acts 2, the only gospel we have, the one gospel of Christ that produces the one church of Christ that Jesus said, I will build. And this gospel sermon in obedience to it will lead you right into it. Enable you to grow spiritually, be united in Christ, surrender yourself to Christ, help you to grow up and be mature and have the kind of life that God desires for every one of His children. You need to obey the gospel or the prayers of the church. We hope you'll come while we stand and sing. There's a fountain breathing for you.
that very much Mr. Frank. Let's remember our uh, five o'clock training class and our 530 uh, memorization class and of course worship at six this evening. Um, we're going to sing one last song and then be dismissed in prayer. And number 250 or 250 this is my father's world. the first and third verses. This is my father's world and to Yeah. 